The following podcast is a production of Commercial Investment Real Estate Magazine, the official publication of CCIM Institute. For more on the latest trends, best practices, and continuing education in all areas of the industry, visit our website at ccim.com and sign up for our education e-newsletter. Support for Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast comes from Remax Commercial. The Remax Commercial Global Network can help you adapt to changing markets, evolve with new technology, and maximize your investments across all property types. Go commercial with confidence. For more information, visit www.remaxcommercial.com. Welcome to another episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. I'm Nicholas Leiter, Senior Content Editor of the magazine. In this episode, I spoke with Martha Payton, Managing Director and Global Head of Real Assets Research at Aegon Asset Management. She joins the podcast to provide context to all the discussion of inflation. Long considered a hedge against inflation, commercial real estate continues to face challenges in the face of COVID-19 and war in Ukraine. But opportunities are available in all property sectors for smart, knowledgeable investors. Well, Martha, thanks for joining Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. I'm very happy to be here, and thanks for the invitation. And, you know, obviously in commercial real estate, um, it is often promoted as an inflation hedge. And while we've heard plenty about inflation recently, do you see this approach as an actual attraction for investment in, in commercial real estate right now? You know, Nick, what's really interesting is that um, the um, identity of commercial real estate as an inflation hedge really starts to grab headlines uh, when inflation starts to uh, jump. So I think it's very much expected, very rational and logical that investors are asking that question again. Is it really an inflation hedge? Now, what investors tell us when we ask them in surveys about why they're interested in commercial real estate, the number one attraction is its diversifying power. And I don't think that that has changed now. Um, Inflation hedging potential is also on the list of what they're attracted to. And I think that's why uh, you're probably hearing a whole lot about that um, in uh, recent weeks. Is that, um, you know, not not to ask about the the Econ 101 of it, but, you know, what makes it such uh, an attractive spot to to kind of to put investments in in a period where inflation is a worry? Well, I, I to go into the real estate part of that question rather than the inflation part of the question, you know, there's one way of looking at it where um, an investor can look at historical performance and can look at uh, the empirical analysis. Has the real estate investment class beat inflation? Historically, has it done it all the time, over all time periods, or most of the time? So you can look at it as strictly 
uh, an analysis of historical data. And when you do that, you come away feeling pretty good that uh, real estate is an inflation hedge. But if you're a more curious investor, you're going to think about why. And you're going to look for the structural characteristics of the asset class that underpin uh, its capacity to serve as an inflation hedge. And what you're going to find there is that the lease structure of some sectors is very much behind its capacity to uh, hedge inflation. Uh, lease structures that provide step-ups in the best of all possible worlds, you'd write in the lease structure that your rent is going to step up periodically uh, in an amount determined by an official inflation rate. That's pure gold as a hedge. Uh, you're going to see hedging capacity when you have um, uh, when you have uh, rents that pass on common area expenses to your tenants, you know, so-called CAM expenses where higher fuel costs or higher property taxes or what have you, where that gets directly passed through to your tenants. Uh, you're also going to see inflation hedging capacity when leases are relatively shorter term. And that is common in the apartment sector. You know, you've got one and two year leases. So when your leases expire, you can then reset rents to cover uh, whatever inflation uh, has transpired or is transpiring. But the really, really important thing to put on the table here is that real estate investing can only prove to be a hedge against inflation in markets and sectors that are balanced. If you've got a sector in a particular location that's way overbuilt, your landlord, your owner's goal is to get live bodies in that space. And that means that you're going to pay attention to leasing it and less attention to how you're doing vis-a-vis -vis inflation. So the number one tracking metric is to look at relative supply-demand balance in sectors and in markets. Mentioning markets of different sizes, does this hold true in places like New York and San Francisco, as well as suburban and secondary or tertiary markets? Um, I think that my recommendation really covers markets of all sizes. I think that um, you can have small tertiary markets that become way overbuilt. 
And in that case, investing in those markets isn't really going to provide much of a hedge because you've just got lots of space competing for investor attention. I, I think also it's probably a good time to mention that when we talk about commercial real estate as an inflation hedge, we're not saying every property can provide an investor with a hedge. All of the work uh, that's done examining uh, performance vis-a-vis inflation is done looking at real estate as an asset class and perhaps looking at individual property sectors. And when you look at individual property sectors, you get dicier conclusions. Really, the best case for real estate as an inflation hedge is when you look at the asset class as a whole, comprised of the four major property types together. Yeah, and that's interesting. I think with um, you know with with kind of the the mixed bag of of market sectors performance in the wake of COVID, um, I've got to imagine that that the investments investment dollars will flow more towards um, the more stable areas like industrial and maybe even multifamily versus places like retail and office. Is that a correct assumption? I think I think that is absolutely correct. And I think the uh, the complications that COVID has introduced um, in uh, sectors such as office, and a little less so uh, in retail, uh, I think those complications are extremely important and may offset some of the inflation hedging potential um, in, again, in certain markets and for certain sectors. For instance, um, let's talk about office for a moment. The office sector is functioning in uh, a shadow of COVID. Um, There is not um, any uh, agreement about how return to the office will play out. Um, Employees, office workers in general say, They want flexibility. They don't want to be locked into five days going to the office, working in the office all day, commuting back and forth. They want flexibility. Well, what exactly does flexibility mean? And the consensus seems to be saying, well, flexibility means coming into the office maybe three days a week, maybe two days a week. To others, flexibility means, oh, gee, my child care collapsed for the day and I can't come to the office. I need to work from home. Or it means 
gee, I've got a leak in my bathroom and the plumber's coming and I need to work from home. Well, those are different kinds of flexibility considerations. And employers are trying to grapple with, well, what's going to work for them? And the struggle is complicated because labor markets are very, very tight. So with a 3.6% unemployment rate and with a whole lot of job openings and a whole lot of employers looking to fill jobs, of course, employers are going to say, oh, yes, yes, we want to be flexible. We want you all to be very happy. Well, what happens when the unemployment rate's 5% and the labor market is not as tight as it is now, will the challenges of providing this flexibility, um, will, will that still be uh, on the radar screen of something that employers are looking to do? Or will they uh, adopt a policy of, gee, folks, we want you to be happy, but you really need to be here. So um, I think that that challenge creates a shadow over the valuation and the desirability of office as an investment And there's another shadow and another complication that's related to climate change, environmental considerations. As we move toward committing to net zero carbon activities um, in the years ahead, 2040, 2050, the question is, what do you do with office space that would need major, major investment dollars to retrofit it to a net zero environment? So investors in office have to grapple with both of these uncertainties. And in this environment, if you ask the question, well, do you believe office investments are inflation hedges, you're going to get a lot of footnotes, a lot of but, 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 maybe if I go to high quality, newer office that has very high environmental characteristics, maybe that's an inflation hedge. And um, maybe it is. But as a sector as a whole, there's a whole lot of other stuff uh, that's on the table now for uh, consideration. In pointing out things like climate change and complications related to COVID, you're raising some serious questions for investors in office. Will these things push some investors to other markets? You know, having to be that much more discerning with office assets that that might leave some unanswered questions. Oh, I think I think we're definitely seeing uh, preferences. A shift from uh, the office sector to the industrial sector, uh, from the retail sector to both industrial multifamily. And I think that that is very much um, a response to 
<coughs> pardon me, to investors considering <coughs> all of these ancillary structural challenges. And you mentioned um, previously that that looking at investments as an inflation hedge, um, the the potential investment areas um, with shorter leases are, are more appealing. So you can kind of built in, you can build in, you know, increases every so often. Is that is that one reason to to give multifamily, you know, an extra look? I think that is one reason, but the other reason is that. <clears throat> Pardon me, supply of multifamily is very tight, uh, particularly when you look at more affordable um, B quality garden apartment style multifamily, which um, is very appealing to um, renters who can't afford. Uh, new, expensive, downtown high-rises with lots of amenities. So multifamily, uh, the apartment sector, is attractive because of its supply-demand characteristics, um, as well as its shorter leases and capacity to provide an inflation hedge. Yeah, that's interesting. That it seems like the sector, like you said, we we've all we're all aware of of the shortage in affordable and affordable housing. So there's kind of a, a, a built in demand that um, you know the, that that investor is going to recognize immediately. And with with other um, sectors with longer average leases, you know, like offices is multi year, five year, ten year leases. Is that something that may change if inflation becomes um, a longer-term consideration? I think that office leases um, have the potential to shorten, not so much because of inflation. I mean, the way that landlords of office space have historically dealt with inflation um, in, in tighter markets is that they build in step ups in leases. So, you know, things like your rent is X, but in two years, it's going to step up by inflation, you know, plus X basis points. So you build in escalators. Uh, to cover you for inflation. Um, and the reason why office landlords are more apt to go that way than to move toward just plain vanilla, you know, you got a two-year lease or a three-year lease, is because it helps to minimize the costs of refilling office space. Uh, leasing commissions, uh, tenant allowances to customize space, those are very expensive. And landlords, of course, will want to lock a tenant in for a longer period of time and at the same time give themselves some uh, power to hedge inflation by stepping up rents automatically. 
And yeah, mentioning obviously as as inflation ticks up, um, we've heard that interest rates are kind of are also you know inching up and and may continue to do so. Um, can you kind of outline you know how increasing interest rates may impact borrowing costs and how that impacts you know investors uh, their their view of commercial real estate? Well, um, when you look at recent data, and uh, what I look at. Uh, is the commercial mortgage alert publication that now comes out of Green Street. Um, In mid-May, the spread on commercial mortgages did increase a little bit, but only a little bit. Um, And um, I think that, you know, what you need to look at is that underlying treasury rate, right? Because in commercial mortgage borrowing, a spread is put on top of the treasury rate, and uh, the treasury rate has gone up quite a bit. Uh, the 10-year treasury is hovering just under 3%, but um, since the beginning of COVID, uh, it's gone up quite a bit. I mean, it was for a time not only under 2%, but it was also under 1%. So, yes, borrowers are now facing higher borrowing rates. But it shouldn't be a surprise. The COVID period of extremely accommodative monetary policy was, has been historically unprecedented. So in no way should borrowers have expected that uh, a one and a half percent 10-year treasury was going to be around for the long run. So savvy borrowers who look at historical interest rates would have said, wow, we really need to jump in and take advantage of these uh, interest rates because this is not going to last. And those savvy borrowers would have taken advantage and would have gotten as much debt over as long a term as possible. Less savvy investors would have looked at short-term interest rates that were extremely low. And they would have said, oh, wow, we can do flexible rate, you know, two, three-year borrowing and pay next to nothing. That would have been unfortunate and overlooked the reality of rates are real low now, But history says they're not going to stay so low uh, for the longer term. Yeah, gotcha. I think that that makes sense as far as, um, you know, expecting the very literal cost of business to increase over time. Um, And yeah, and and kind of looking out longer term with this period of of inflation right now, you know, is there is there a time and point where we can recognize this as kind of a transient situation where it's in the wake of COVID, or is this something more, you know, inherently baked into the economy? Um, you know, is there a point where, where commercial real estate professionals can kind of 
can understand that and, and, and acknowledge it? Well, you know, the trite answer to your question is time will tell. But after you laugh at that response, you know, we get serious and say, you've really got to understand the forces that are driving inflation now and make a personal judgment about timing and when you see it resolving. So the variety of forces include very clearly transient forces um, related still to COVID and particularly the impact of COVID on China and the lockdowns on China and the disruption in the flow of goods from China. Um, Now, is that getting worse or is it getting better? Well, no one really knows because we don't know how long this COVID um, uptick in China is going to go on. And we don't know if there'll be another COVID mutation that will just start that process all over again. So COVID is transient, but of unknown duration. The second transient uh, inflation um, uh, route is the war in Ukraine, which has taken terrible toll on trade in agricultural commodities, in grain, in fertilizer. And it's disrupted um, the uh, spring planting cycle. How long will that go on? Well, no one knows that either, but we can look at that and say that is transient. The third transient factor is that American households uh, benefited from the anti-COVID support payments uh, that were last uh, increased um, back in um, 2021. So it allowed households to accumulate extra savings that they would not have had otherwise, and they are slowly spending that down. That's transitory. They're getting to the end of having that extra amount of, uh, of, of savings. So um, we will see those three factors wane. But with regard to both COVID and Ukraine, we can't really say when exactly that's going to happen. Now, another way to make judgments about how long is this going to take is to really dig into the details of inflation data. And what we're seeing there um, in the last uh, data release, and that would be uh, for April data and also first quarter data, we are seeing some improvements And uh, for instance, 
We're seeing in the producer price index that crude products and intermediate products that go into the production of other stuff, inflation there eased. We saw some declines. That's a really good sign. In the CPI, we've seen the price of used cars actually go down. And if you recall, the price of used cars really skyrocketed a few months ago, um, in part because new car production slowed down since manufacturers weren't able to get all the computer chips that they needed. So when you look at the April CPI report, you see, oh, wow, there's been a backup here in uh, the price of used cars. That's a really good sign. We saw energy prices um, stabilize in the month of April. That's a good sign. So what you really need to do is you need to dig into the details of this data in order to address what might otherwise be inflation panic. And um, I think that you can find here some brighter points. Yeah, and I think that's that's a great way to frame it. Um, for me, it's just to kind of, of course, COVID, we, fingers crossed, is a, is a transitory uh, situation where, you know, we were ready to say goodbye to it uh, two weeks after it arrived. But, um, but however tried our patients may be, um, I think we all agree that, that at some point it will truly be behind us. And, and that's, that's a refreshing uh, thing to remember. Um, and yeah, so my final question for you is, um, you know, it, it's, it's a bit, uh, a bit of a heavy question, but if, if you were given the keys to the economy tomorrow, you know, what steps would you take to, to minimize inflation and, and pretty much optimize the, the performance of the economy as a whole? Uh, if I was empress for a day, what would I do? Well, I, I, you know, I think that it's really important um, that we have confidence in the Federal Reserve. I think that the Federal Reserve has responded uh, very well to the situation. I think that uh, the chairman has made um, very um reasonable comments. And I think that um, policymakers, politicians, the media um, would serve the public interest if they um, expressed and bolstered confidence in the Fed. I think that uh, as Queen for a Day Consumers need to be reassured, and we need to discourage hoarding. And I am remembering the early days of COVID when you couldn't buy paper goods, and people had garages full of, you know, a year's worth of toilet paper. Um, that is very, very um uh, um, unsettling and damaging behavior. 
I think that as a queen for a day, I would focus public attention on the good news uh, that we're seeing in the data. You know, don't despair. We're seeing signs of easing. And I think that um, policymakers have been at least partly successful in bolstering confidence and discouraging consumers from freaking out. Because what we're seeing in surveys of consumers is that they're really unhappy now, but they do see that longer term, this will resolve itself. So we need to keep consumer spirits up. And uh, I think that um, it's, you know, the challenge is that media has become so complicated uh, that it's hard to address uh, all of the fringe elements that are uh, declaring, you know, the end of the world here. So again, you know, the queen for a day would say, have confidence, better times are ahead. Yeah. And that's, I think that's a great place to wrap up. Um, I, I really appreciate all your comments on, on putting this in context for our listeners. Cause I think, um, like you said, there's not a lot of nuance available in, in the media today. And I think, um, we hear about inflation, we know it's a consideration and it's, it's a concern, but, um, but adding a little context to that conversation will will help our listeners prepare for, for what's to come. Okay. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Nick. Thank you, Martha. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. Head to SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Join us next month for a brand new episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast, featuring another leading figure from the world of commercial real estate.